you start to question your value. You start to question your self-worth. Like the more money you got, the more successful you are, and most people really do buy into that. But really, I just needed a break. What I love is helping people. I'm Julie Bauke, and welcome to The Evolved Career, a podcast where we help you determine what truly does matter most to you and how it can have a profound impact on your life. My guest today is Chris Doris. Since 1994, Chris has served as an advisor, consultant, and mental toughness trainer and personal transformation coach to lots of cool people. And we'll talk more about that. Chris, when people ask you, tell me about yourself or what do you do? What do you say? It depends on my mood. Okay. Um, Yeah, I have a lot of different answers for that. And if I'm playful, I'll say something like, I am Viagra for the mind. (laughs) Okay. um, (laughs) Well, you know, I'm a mental coach is another answer. If I'm really bored, if I don't want to pursue the conversation further, <laughs> like if I'm watching a game and someone's you know, distracted, say, hey, what do you do? I'll just say I'm a life coach. That's a pretty boring answer these days. Uh, I, I refer to myself probably most often as a success coach, and I define, and this will be really relevant to our conversation today, my definition, you know, my current definition of success is having your life on your terms, right? And, and uh, it doesn't ma- matter what your terms are. They're, they're just yours. And I cannot think of a, a more effective and appropriate definition for success because historically success has been defined conventionally really just about money. It's like the more money you got, the more successful you are. And most people really do buy into that. Uh, but, you know, I've coached so many people who have so much wealth and ha- have no joy. Yes. That cannot yes. ever be successful, right? That, how could that be successful? So I say I'm a success coach and what that means. And I use, the primary methodology that I use to help people have their lives on their terms is mental toughness training, which is very simply put, Julie, is the psychological equivalent of uh, physical training. So yes. it's working out the mind. Okay, great. Now, you know, it's you said sometimes when you're bored or you want somebody to leave you alone, you'll just say, I'm a life coach. Now, I, which reminded me of something I saw, maybe it was on Facebook, maybe it's in one of your daily tips or something, where someone said to you, what qualifies you to be a life and success coach. So let's back up. Tell me about the pivot points or the highlights of your journey from that first career, which I believe was in social work, to yeah, you're right. a mental toughness trainer. You don't do that overnight. What were those key moments yeah. that took you on that journey? Okay, well, it's funny that you prefaced that. That was actually perfectly articulated because it's funny because the answer to the question, well, I, and I got that question asked, yeah. Uh, um, and actually, it was in when I was I was visiting my birth mom. I'm adopted, and I was reunited 11 years ago. And we have a super amazing relationship. So I go visit her, and she visits me. And I was visiting her, and we went out to a jazz club, and it was all really old people. I'm 51 years old, and I was the second youngest person in the room. And I know that because I was sitting next to the youngest person in the room, and we had a good laugh on that. But uh, uh, this beautiful woman had just heard the story of my reunion with my mom. And she said, so what do you do? And that's when I said, Viagra for the mind, not realizing I'm surrounded by all geriatric people. They didn't really appreciate that. But anyway, <laughs> she, she asked me that question. She said, you know, so, oh, you're, I said, I'm a life coach. I help people close the gap between how their lives are and how, the, how they want them to be. And she said, oh, wow, that's so fascinating. What qualifies you to do that? And she wasn't asking, like, challenging, who are you? She was like, so what, you know, what's, like, actually, legitimately, like, where do you live? What qualifies you for that? And I said, it's a beautiful question. Let me start to answer by telling you what doesn't qualify me. And I went on and on saying, you know, about my degrees, 
you know, my graduate degrees by having traveled around the world and studied with some of the greatest minds on the planet, like Deepak Chopra's and going, having gone to India and done oneness university and having gone to South Africa and studied with the Sangoma and all this stuff and not having like written books, not having read jillions and jillions of self-help books and having, you know, done billion, who knows how many hours of weekend workshops on personal development. Now all that stuff, all that stuff has been tremendously valuable in sharpening my saw and my trade, but it isn't the appropriate answer <clears throat> to the question, what qualifies me as a life coach? And the answer is simply my love for people, my belief in people, and my passion uh, for serving them. That, that is what qualifies me. And, and now that brings us all the way back then to the beginning. All right, and you're, you, you asked me about some pivot points. <clears throat> and when I, think, when I think back over the course of my career, there have been a, uh, there have been jillions of pivot points, but like the big ones, I would say there are a few. And the very first one was to honor that, what I just said. My response to this woman recently, <clears throat> what qualifies you to be a life coach? And by the way, we're going back to 1994, right? And there was life coaching wasn't a thing. Right. That not that I'm aware of. I don't think nope, that life nope, coaching definitely was not. <laughs> a, 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 wasn't a career. In fact, just coaching, right? Coaching as as it is now. Days like executive coaching, business coaching, life coaching. That none of that stuff exists. The only coaches in the world were sports coaches. So at the time when I was out of coming out of college, and I, if someone asked me the question, you know, what is one of the most courageous, possibly the most courageous decision you've ever made, and it was to trust against a lot of people's better judgment or or not <clears throat> against their advice. And against their fears, it was to trust, and I'm going to say this in like a long poetic way, but I'll simplify. I trusted that inherent within my passions were the mechanics for their own fulfillment. That was a simple way of saying that is I just trusted what I loved. I, and I, what I loved was helping people. That's it, period, simple as that. You know, I had opportunities to take jobs in you know, New York City. Uh, I got into law school, and the only only reason I had applied to the law school was because I thought I was supposed to, because I have a sister who's a CPA and a sister who's a doctor. So, like, doctor, CPA, social worker. Candlestick maker. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you, know what I, you, know, you know what I mean? So, it was like, it was the egoic pressure to do that. And I, I never even went. I never even attended. I thought, this is not my deal. This this isn't for me. Uh, what is is... is helping people in some form or fashion. So that was the first. And that, oh, by the way, there's a great book that I read that really helps me do that, that helped me make that decision, which was to say, I don't know what it's going to look like, but it's going to look like helping people. I don't know how I'm going to make money, but I'll figure it out. You know, and the book that helped me make that decision is called Do What You Love, The Money Will Follow by Dr. Marcia Sinatar. Yes, a classic. I'm looking at it. Yeah, it's a classic. I'm looking at it. It's on my bookshelf. I read that book in 1994, and it helped me, you know, Actually, I read it in probably 1990, and it helped me and because that's when I was a social worker from 1990 to 94 after college, working on the streets of Atlantic City, making no money, but doing work that I knew would lead to something, but I didn't know what. Now, that, that, that leads up to the second pivot point, which is as I was a social worker, I'd been a basketball player in college. Now, this is serendipity, and I totally believe in synchronicity, right? So... Uh, I was a basketball player in college. I was playing while I was doing social work at the Jersey Shore. At nights, I'd go play, you know, pickup games, play hoops down at the elementary school. And one night, I shattered my leg. 
really bad break, compound fracture. And I almost died from it because I got an infection. That oh, gave wow. me fat. I had a fatty embolism, gave me pneumonia. I was in a, on an ice blanket in Princeton Medical Center for eight days. So after that, I'm like, that's enough hoops. I, got, I played from fifth grade through college. We're good. <laughs> I'm going to shift now. I'm going to shift all of my athletic passion over to golf, which I'd only played like a bit of throughout my youth. <clears throat> so I, I got really, really passionate about the game. And while I was playing, I rapidly discovered how mental it was. <clears throat> and it's at that point that I decided I am going to marry my – and all this while, by the way, for the, that entire four years, 90 to 94 after college, I was totally floundering. I was doing social work, but that's just because I needed a job. And I, but, I, but I did want it to have, involve helping people. And I did not know what it would lead to, but I knew it wasn't going to stay that. I was, I, you know, was exploring the Peace Corps. I was exploring all, all kinds of different things during that, that period. And, um, but when I started playing golf and that injury occurred, I realized I'm going to marry I'm going to use sports. I'm going to marry my passion for psychology and the human spirit, human potential with my passion for sports. So I moved out here and then the rest, and we can get to other pivot points that happened after that. And you moved from Atlantic City to Arizona? I did to go to to Arizona State for graduate school in psychology, but to focus on on sports psychology. And, and, And there's a huge pivot point in that as well, which is a great lesson for for folks, should I just continue into that? Yep, absolutely. So this is a lesson in having the courage to A, know what you want, and B, ask for it. So it was time at the end of my graduate program to go do what's called the practicum or internship. And uh, I was at a counseling uh, program, so everyone was going off to go get jobs or internships at mental health agencies where I just left. So I wasn't right. going to go do that again. So that didn't make any sense. That's not why I was there. So I, you know, so I was struggling, and I was having a conversation with a fellow student of mine in in the parking lot at Gamage after class one day, and I was telling her, you know, I don't know, I don't know what to do. Like I want to, I'm here to to create a, you know, ultimately to start my own practice in sports psychology. I want want to work exclusively with athletes, and this internship is just going to feel like it's a waste of time if I'm going backwards and doing what I just left. And she said, well, and this is, this is just so, this is stuck with me. I tell this story all the time. The questions that she, she asked me, two questions, and they couldn't have been more perfect. And I am always asking my clients these questions now in my coaching. She said, well, what would perfect look like? And I stammered and said, well, what, I, mean, yeah, <laughs> I mean, unrealistically, like in a perfect world, so just what would perfect look like? What would be the best case scenario? And I said, well, I mean, if we're not being practical about things here, the perfect thing would be for me to do my internship with the men's golf team here at ASU because I want to work with with professional golfers, and they're like the number one team in the nation. And and so that's question number one. Now her her follow-up question was equally perfect and powerful. She said, why don't you ask? And I looked at her, and I just thought, oh, honey, (laughs) <laughs> you're oh, so cute you're so cute <laughs> yeah <laughs> like you obviously don't know you, know, you don't just go ask like the, the the coach of the number one division men's golf team you know when you have like no zero zero applied experience and say hey i want to be your mental guy <laughs> and and then i i was thinking i was like look she's like just sitting there waiting for me to answer and i thought that's 
you know, I guess the honest, the only honest answer is why, why wouldn't I ask? It's because I'd be a coward. Thank you. So I ended <laughs> right. up asking and, and I got it. And, and it became after um, I graduated, they hired, he hired me. Coach Randy Lyon hired me for the next 10 years. And I worked with all these golfers who are now on tour. How long did it take you after that conversation in the parking lot? How long did it take you to work up the courage to approach them and ask? Uh, uh, I had to do it because I needed my internships right away. Okay. That's a great question, Julie, because it probably would have taken longer if I didn't have the time constraint. Yeah. Because I, I remember being scared to death. And that, I wasn't scared to ask my advisor. I just went to him with a question. like, hey, man, he's a great dude. So I said, you know, is this even a possibility? He said, hell yeah, but you, obviously you need to get the coach to say yes. And you need to go find someone else who's done applied sports psychology, who is licensed, you know, as a PhD, who can be your supervisor. And I found that. I, I went to the coach and asked him how that I was nervous about. And, and in retrospect, I, you know, it was so funny. I didn't need to be because he loved the idea. He thought, oh, this is great. It was, and that's part of the cool, one of the coolest parts of the story is how easy it was. And then I found a supervisor who was super psyched over in the clinical psych department, just asked around, just asked a few people. And, and it, Julie, it's, it's an amazing story of how sometimes, sometimes, how easy it can be to get what we want if we'll just, A, get clarity on it and just ask. Yeah. You know, I, I want to go back to that moment in the parking lot because I think it, yeah. you know, it's it's helpful from a lot of different angles. The first one is, you know, we ask our clients, we say, what is your, and it's very similar to that question, is what does your perfect 10 look like? If you could mm-hmm. clear the slate and, and, and write out exactly what your perfect career or perfect life would look like, either in a day, a week, a year, you know, what would, what would it be? And the initial response of virtually everyone is, ugh, I can't have that. In other words, why are you even asking me that? That's a waste of time because yeah. there's no way right. I can have everything I want. And I'm fascinated by that because what I say, well, I say, okay, maybe. Uh, but if you know what your 10 is, then you know, then you have a greater chance of getting closer than if you don't know what your 10 is. So can we at least say, yeah. let's figure out what ideal looks like. And if we know what 10 looks like, we're going to know whether we're considering an 8 or a 6 because we have something to compare it to. If you've got two opportunities that come up and one's a 4 and one's a 5 and you get super excited about the 5, it's still a 5. You know, it's I say it's yeah. the, it's the cream of the crap and you don't want to be living with the cream of the crap. <laughs> I've never heard that like that. Yeah, you can use it. Um, but you have to give me a dollar every time you use it. Um Deal. But it's it's really, you know, it, you've got to know what ideal looks like. If you don't, you'll never get close. And yeah. it's funny how this person just asked you this really simple question that I think is, it seems so silly to you at the time, and to most people it does, but it really is the crux of getting what you want. And that's being able to yeah. visualize and articulate what it is and then put it out there. And I would imagine... Like you said, you use that technique all the time now. I agree. And there's a third element, which is, which is as profound as any of the others. So it's A, know what you want, right? Define what does per- what's perfect, what's your tip. Uh, B is declare it or put it out there. And that's huge. Is, is just tell people because you never know who you're going to be talking to that's going to be able to help you with it, right? Right. Like, like Teresa in the parking lot at Gamage Auditorium. Thank God, for that, thank God for that conversation, right? I mean, seriously. I don't even want to think about what my life would be like with that conversation. Ah, uh, you would have gotten there some other way. <laughs> Maybe, but it probably would have taken a hell of a lot longer, yep. like a whole lot longer, right? 
And, um, but then the, the last, the third component, so the first component is, is clarity, right? Know what you want. The second is be willing to put it out there and share it and talk to people about it and declare it and announce it, broadcast it. The third, though, is, is, is move. Yeah. Move towards. My, yeah. My, one of my favorite mantras is, is that two words, move towards. Love that. Move towards, because I asked, you know, it's like, Back up a little bit in the, in the chronology here in the story is right before I went to um, graduate school, I was still back in Jersey. I was in, I was, I was, I was accepted. I'm on my way, but I was doing some research. I was calling around to the, the like the most notable recognized published uh, sports psychologists in the world to, uh, to pick their brains. Right. And that's, that's a good action step. As I look back I'm like, oh, I'm really proud that I did that. That took. I remember it taking a little courage because they were like kind of famous, you know, in the industry. And uh, I just wanted to reach out to them to say, "Hey, I want to do what you're doing. Can you just give me some guidance? <clears throat> like in several years, I want to be like the next you." And and it's really interesting. They were all so cool, but they also gave me some really limiting advice, which, which in retrospect is so paradoxical because mm. really fundamentally these people who I was connecting with, uh, who their careers are to promote belief. And yet they were giving me some advice that, that had me be scared. And what that, that advice was, or it wasn't necessarily, yeah, it was advice. It was like, well, you're going to have to get your PhD. I do not have that. You're going to need to um, be either you know, a professor. I am not that or start a clinical practice on the side, or, or start your own you know, clinical practice in psychology and then do, um, and then start your, your um, practice on the side. I kind of did that. And, uh, and you're going into this field at a time where it is super saturated. In other words, there are so many people competing for so few opportunities. Bullshit. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I believe them. Yep. And I said, okay, all right, well, all right, thank you for that. I'm going to do it anyway. I'm here. I go. They said, you're going to need to, one guy said, you're going to need to probably, you know, start off in like bass fishing or bowling. Now, I'm not slamming bass fishing or bowling, but that's not what I wanted. Like anywhere close, I didn't want to work with bass fishermen or bowlers. I wanted to work, although I love both of those things, that, that wasn't what I wanted to do. I wanted to work with golfers, period. And they said, well, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Who doesn't, right? Yeah. I'm good. Right, like yeah, right, like good luck with that, babe. Boy, you know it's it's. And I believe them, like, but they were wrong, right? Yeah, they were wrong. On one hand, it's really smart to get the input and advice from people who've been there, done that, people who know you, blah blah blah. But it's dangerous because we can give too much credence to their advice, and it stops us in our tracks. And their advice is based on their experience in the world and their mindset, and that can never replace our own. Yeah, yeah, right on. So when I when I so I got this job then uh, you know my internship turned into a career and now it didn't it didn't it wasn't like a full salary I was doing it was like you know ten fifteen hours a week with the team which was amazing to me right that, that what an opportunity right an unbelievable opportunity now I still had to do and that's why I said I kind of took that advice which is started I was doing I was using my degree and doing some other jobs as a therapist. You know, so I could pay the bills as I, as I grew my practice. And I was in practice with a friend of mine, Dr. Allison Arnold, who was, she's like, the, she is still, and was at the time and continues to be like the number one gymnastics mental coach on earth. 
Mm. And she's a damn genius. And um, she's always been a mentor and buddy and business partner, you know, uh, at the time to me. And I was enrolled in my PhD program, right? So uh, she told me to defer for a year and let's just give it a whirl. Let's just give this a whirl. So who we are giving it a whirl. And she said, you still have your, your seat in the doctoral program because you believe you need it. Meanwhile, she's getting her PhD. She's just finishing hers up. And she's telling me, maybe you don't need that doctoral degree. She first started to challenge that advice, ironically, as a person who's getting her own. Mm-hmm. And, I, and that's when I first opened up to maybe they were wrong because the whole time I was just getting, I was just in the belief. This is how it needs, hey, the, the superstar has told me this is how it needs to be. Who am I to question the sage, you know? And, uh, well, she was a sage too, and she said, yeah, maybe you don't need it. And she was right. Go back to when you were, um, said you were sitting with your birth mom and all of her friends, and someone asked you, mm-hmm. what, you know, what qualifies you to be a life coach? And I love the way you answered that, because it really goes back to this time in your, this early part of your career, where you're saying, I'll tell you what doesn't qualify me. And you went on to list no. all the things that are in a traditional resume. And yeah. right by, and then most people, when you ask them what qualifies them or what their background is in, whatever it is, they give you that laundry list, sort of that resume answer. And right. your, the answer to that question, I think part of your giving that answer goes back to those key moments where you got this bad advice to build your resume, which isn't always bad advice, yeah. but it, it, it was for you. Right. And then, you know, right. so it's, it's I, I see that connection in how you, know, you didn't get there in a way that the traditional sages might say to get there, but you got there in your way. So therefore, when you're giving advice, it's really not about laundry lists. It's really, it starts from that core where you started from is, I really want to help people. And then you build from there instead of starting yeah. from building your laundry list of qualifications. That couldn't have been a more perfect segue to the next pivot point in my career. So uh, that's right. So service always – so Doc Alley would never let me forget that service is the reason I'm even doing any of this, right, being in service. That she was always reminding me that is this the decision you're about to make? Is it of service? The advertisement that you're creating for your workshop, is it of service? You know, such an incredible mentor in that regard. So – I, at the time, I was doing these workshops for junior golfers. I created a great relationship with the CEO of the direct, executive director is his title, uh, Tom Cunningham of the Junior Golf Association of Arizona. He has since retired, but he was, another, he was a huge pivot like person in my life, in my vocation. So I, got a, I created a good, really great relationship with him where he permitted me to send out advertisements and, and use his membership to do these workshops for, for kids, for junior golfers that then would become my clients. So I was doing these workshops. I was doing one one day, and I saw some familiar faces. And I, I asked the, the crowd, I was like, kids, how many of you have been, you look familiar. How many of you guys have been here before? And a handful of kids raised their hands, and I said, oh, wow. What do you guys remember? Crickets. So <laughs> I thought, that's terrible. That's terrible. That is not the business model that I'm looking for. I'm here to make a difference. Not to have them come back again and again and waste their parents' time and money. So I went back to the drawing board and I thought, what would, and this is driven by commitment to service. The question I was, I'm sitting at my desk in the question, 
how can I make these experiences more powerful and valuable to the attendees, to these young athletes? And I thought, you know what? It was, well, I came up with two answers. One is let's do less content and go deeper, which has totally transformed the way I do all of my work. That was a great call. But the biggest call was let's, you know what? Let's invite parents to attend for free because that hadn't been happening. It was just the kids. Parents would drop them off and go get coffee. So now I invited the parents to come and sit in the back. And it was all driven by the desire to serve. After the very first one of those, one of the parents comes up to me and says, this is amazing. I, I run the sales team at mm. a company here in Tempe <laughs> called Insight. I want you to come do this exact same workshop with my sales team. That opened, uh, I have goosebumps as I'm telling you this. That was like 17 years ago. This guy has become a great friend of mine, a very, very close friend, and an incredibly, one of the most pivotal comrades in my uh, and characters, one of the pivotal, most important characters in my vocational story. And he's had me now, he's connected me with all these, these great business opportunities where now I've, I've been on stage and here's like, the, this is the final pivot point where he, he had me, he had me get hired as he ascended in his own career and had you know, bigger roles in, in, in these multi-billion dollar companies. He had me hired to do the closing keynote. This is like after Mike Dickus spoke, I went after him in Chicago on a stage in front of thousands of salespeople from all over the world for a multi-billion dollar sales company to give a closing keynote for a week-long sales kickoff. And, and I, I, I hit a, a grand slam. I was never more prepared. We may be talking about that later if you want. I was never more prepared for anything in my life and hit a grand slam. These people that were in attendance go to all these, they just, you know, the, the sales or the sales world is, is very incestuous. People are definitely moving quickly between different companies and opportunities. And they hop and they say, oh, yeah, we got to get this, this dude. They called himself a mental coach. We have to have him at our kickoff. And the whole, my whole career exploded from that. So when he first said to you, I want to bring you in to talk to my salespeople, what was your first gut response to that? Um, that I was scared to death of that <clears throat> because, because I, I was a social worker. <laughs> I don't think I've ever been inside a corporate building. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think that's really important. You felt the fear and you did it anyway. And I think that's, you know, it's it's easy for the listener to hear you say, well, I was coaching all these golfers and, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd gotten my foot in the door. And sometimes when we hear that from people, we're like, oh, well, then it was all uphill, you know, it was all downhill from there. It was all good. You know, he was he was on his way. But each step, when this guy said, I want you to come talk to my salespeople, you're probably like, uh, blah, blah, blah. you know, what, what, what do I have to teach them? He, he even coached me. I remember the moment very like, vividly because I, I remember saying to him, I've never done that, which is a total what, – why, why, why <laughs> we, like, yeah. I just got done doing a mental toughness training workshop, and I, here I am being mentally weak. Yeah. You know, he's giving me this great opportunity. And I said, I, I've never really done that. He goes, dude, don't worry about it, man. And he's coaching me. He's like, don't, hey, don't, just do the same, just do exactly what you just did. Yeah. And you know, this, this, um, reading your bio, I, I love to read people's kind of bios on LinkedIn and places to see what they say about themselves. And one of your statements that I want to call out, and, and I think we can apply this not to, not just to, you know, because people listening, they're like, well, if I read your, bi- hold on, hold on for a second. Okay. If I read your bio, it says, 
what began as a commitment to help people feel more excited and enthusiastic about their lives has evolved as Chris is now called upon by elite athletes, CEOs, entertainers, dot, dot, dot. I think a lot of people reading that would say, why do entertainers and athletes need to feel more enthused and excited about their lives? They've got it all. Yeah. You know, Robin Williams was one of my favorite comedian actors of all time. He's been in some of my favorite movies. And man, did he bring so much joy to, to the world, right? Robin Williams. Absolutely. And, uh, and like Anthony Bourdain. Yes. You know, these are yep. people that just, God, they just crushed it in their craft. And, and I loved watching that guy, Anthony Bourdain. And his shows were incredible. And Robin Williams brought so much laughter to, to my life. And not just laughter, like movies, like, um, like Patch Adams. That's a real story, you know. And then they commit suicide, and it's happening all the time, right? These are just two recent ones of, of people that I really loved. And so where's the, you know, that's why. That's a reason why. It's yes. like, you know, just assuming that. And, and, and I've coached so many people that, that aren't necessarily famous, right, but are very, very wealthy. I've coached so many mega millionaires. I've coached a billionaire. And uh, many of those people have just empty souls. Like, they're not bad people. I'm not saying that at all. But they don't have the meaning. And, you know, there, there's an, I'll tell you, the coolest, I think the most interesting course that I studied in my master's program was on death. And a part of the course referenced research that was done on centenarians. So people who are on death's doorstep, and they were asked the question, so looking back, what would you do differently? And, and it's fascinating that there is some real uniformity in the responses. And three of the most popular responses were, one, I would take more risks. Two, I would slow down and appreciate how magnificent life is, life, without me even having to do anything to it, just appreciate. And the third is I would be so less obsessed with my own success and way more interested in making a difference and, and my legacy and leaving a footprint. If only we could take that back and you know, it's just too darn bad. You have to get to that age before you're really able to articulate that because then, you know, you say it's too late, but you've just, you've misused your time in terms of, you know, what matters most to you. So, you know, it's like we're, we're going back to what I hadn't even think of that course was that, you know, being in conversation with, with some of these folks who are very wealthy, but looking for the meaning. You know, and there's a classic book by uh, Viktor Frankl called uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Now, Viktor Frankl was a, a survivor of concentration camps in Nazi Germany, and he wrote about the experience, finding meaning. If we can find meaning in anything, in everything, if we can find meaning in the experience, we can get through anything, but that's not even the biggest point. It's that how the power of meaning and, and, the, and the centenarians is like, you know, we're all going to be confronted. Well, there's another one. There's another book by um, Leo Tolstoy um, called The Death of Ivan Illich. And it's about a person, this guy who, you know, commits his life to his, like being quote, conventionally successful power and money. And then he gets sick and he's on, on his deathbed. He's confronted with the question, was my whole life wrong? 
So really what I want to encourage your listeners to do is to, to, to slow down enough, right, and ask themselves the question that you posed a while ago in this conversation, which is what's, a ten, what's the 10? What's your 10? And, and let's just operate for a little, like slow down enough, like schedule an hour, like a sacred – don't like just kind of like reflect while you're in traffic. No, no, schedule a time to go somewhere, some that, someplace that you love. And know that you're treating yourself with unbelievable compassion right now. And you turn everything off, right? And you disconnect and give yourself an hour of pure love and investment and reflection on the question, you know, what would perfect look like? If I could, regardless of whether I think it's possible or available to me right now, put that crap aside and just answer the question, what would amazing be? And then once you've spent that hour and you have some fun, amazing, moving, powerful ideas, on paper, regardless of how different or similar those ideas are to your current exact reality, who cares? Move towards, go do something. Operate from the assumption just for fun because you got nothing to lose that, hey, you know, maybe this is available to me in some form. And my firm belief, Julie, is that it is. It is. Absolutely. You said it. You said it. You said it in the introduction. And I loved it. I loved it what you said in your introduction to the show, which is the world deserves the best you. That's a badass phrase, and I couldn't agree with you more. The world doesn't, doesn't thrive from us settling. So you've worked with people across industry and profession, uh, and you know, East Coast to West Coast, uh, all over the place. What are some of the common threads you see, regardless, industry, profession, gender, um, you know, age, stage in life? What are some of the, the most common threads you see among humans, between humans? I would say that the number one mistake that I have witnessed throughout my entire career in helping professions, the number one mistake that I have observed people make in the pursuit of life on their terms or their desires, right, is waiting, unnecessarily waiting for all kinds of things like for a bigger bank account balance to feel successful, right? For recognition to feel um, competent or expertise, right? Um, for a, a, a raise or a job offer in the first place to feel qualified or capable. Waiting for all different kinds of things in the outer world in order to feel these amazing states in the inner world, right? Like accomplishment, uh, confidence, right? Reward, enthusiasm, gratitude, expertise, you know, all these high-grade states. So I, I have a mantra, another mantra that I love, which is called create the state, don't wait. And that's why, you know, I rely on mental training to help people really alter their uh, emotional states at will in a moment's time to create the state that will serve you in that moment. So what I have witnessed is people waiting and people, we've all been conditioned to, um, on varying levels, but none of us are exempt from this. We've all been conditioned to play victim. What that means is victim of circumstance, right, to let the outer world govern the inner world. Can I tell you a little story about that? Sure. So a little girl comes home from school, and she's all smiles. And her mom sees her and says, oh, honey, look at you. You're so happy. Wow, what happened? Did you make a new friend at school today? And the little girl says, mm-mm, no, mommy, there, there weren't any new students today. 
And the mom says, well, wow, why, why, this is so, why are you so happy? Uh, you got a sticker on your spelling quiz. And the little girl says, uh-uh, we didn't have a spelling quiz today, mom. And the mom comes back again and says, well, I don't, what, I don't understand. Why are you so, what happened? You, you got cupcakes at recess, didn't you? And the little girl just says, mm-mm, we didn't have any cupcakes today, mom. Now, time out from the story. This is a loving exchange between this precious little girl and her number one role model in the universe, her mommy. It's a beautiful loving exchange. However, embedded within it is an unconscious, disastrous message to the little girl. Do you know what it is? That it's just, you know, what you accomplish that matters, that what you accomplish is what gives you a good day or a bad day. Well, it's, it's that there's no such thing as causeless joy. That you can't just like, something mm -hmm. had to happen, honey. What was the thing in the outer world, the thing outside of you, the thing that's not in your control, right? What's the thing, the excuse that's giving you the right to choose joy right now, sweetheart? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right? great. Yep, like, and so you're right. Girl, no one knows. Of course nobody knows that that's what's going on, but it's going on. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's like that's how sneaky this conditioning is. The victim conditioning that none of us are exempt from is so sneaky that it can occur. It can be transmitted like a virus in a computer through a loving communication, right? So that's a common thread. And we yeah. so it's important for us all to enthusiastically own the fact that we are assigning credit and blame to the outer world for our joy and our pain. And mental toughness is stopping doing that. Yes, right? I love it's that. It's taking it back. Yeah. Right? It's taking back the ownership and saying, you know, nothing makes me happy. People can do, like my loved ones can do things to make it easier for me to choose joy. But, and certainly nobody can piss me off. Nobody can make me feel inferior. Right? Nobody can make me jealous. Nobody can make me feel incompetent. Nobody can make me feel competent. I do that with my own thinking. Now, that, Julie, has not been a class. And that's, that's really a huge part of why I choose to do what I do, right, is because we weren't taught how to be the creator. We were actually taught how to do the opposite. We were taught how to be victims. Yes. I'm, I don't want to sound good, you know. I love that. It's spiritist here. This is yeah. the human experience. Yeah. And we get to grow. We get to turn that around. We get to do that. And, and the more we're willing to do that work, the much easier it becomes to create a vocation of our dreams. Absolutely. Well, that's a great ending sentence. Are you ready to play two questions, one deep and one shallow? Oh, sure. All right. Let's do it. Let's do the shallow one first. Okay. What personality trait has gotten you into the most trouble? Sarcasm. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I, I kind of suffer from that myself, but I wouldn't give it up. No way. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I'm embracing no it. You just have you, right embrace it and, and and learn to like you know make shape it you know <laughs> that's right, maybe that's right. dull it the scotch. Sarcastic people are my favorite people. Yeah. All right. Yeah. All right. Here's our final question, the deep question. What lessons mm. in life mm. did you learn the hard way? Mm. Uh, that um, money is just a construct. Right. Like that. Um, that that my bank account is the reflection of my level of service. And I, I learned it the hard way because I grew up in a, in a, we didn't have a whole lot of money. And there was a, a lot of money fear. So I, I, so it took me a long, and that's why I'll call it the hard way. I'll also call it like the long way to, to learn that money is just a damn construct. It's just a, it's a consequence, okay, that I can create. I can create, if I want money, I go create it. 
it doesn't run me. But it took me a long yes. time to learn that. Wow. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Well, thank you. Now, how can we get more? I see all kinds of, of reasons based on this conversation um, why people might want to become more mentally tough. We've got just so many nuggets in there. How can we get more Chris Doris? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. For, thank you for that. So I want to strongly encourage folks to just go to my homepage, right? Because there's two things that you can do right there. And my homepage is ChristopherDoris.com. And my last name is D-O-R-R-I-S. So ChristopherDoris.com. And, and when you go there, there's, you can sign up for a couple of things, uh, both of which are totally free. The first is the Daily Dose. There'll be a sign-up box on the right-hand side. And the Daily Dose, is, is the full title is the Daily Dose Mental Toughness Tips in 30 Seconds or Less. So when you sign up for that, do that when you're like, in your home time zone, because then at 6 a.m. every day of the year, you will have delivered in your email box a nugget of mental toughness that you can read in 30 seconds or less, but then commit the day to have it be like a practice. Some of them are practices, you know, invitations to integrate some thought or some mantra or some actual practice into the day that would have you develop more mental toughness. And then the other thing at the bottom of the homepage would be to sign up for, you know, my, um, my video blog, my, my email list, my normal email list, which also notifies you when there's a new video uh, blog, a uh, written blog, or, um, my podcast, uh, which is called Tough Talks on Conversation, um, Tough Talks Conversations on Mental Toughness. And I can attest that those are I think all. Find, and people can find everything else. Yeah. Yep, I can attest those are all well worthwhile. Sometimes I read your your tip in the morning, and I go, "But I don't want to be mentally tough today. I want to be mentally weak." <laughs> we all have and days. you get to choose that. I do. But that's the but that's like one of the biggest takeaways is that we all have the power to choose. Yes, we absolutely do. Well, thank you so much for your time today. I, I think this is going to be one uh, of my podcasts where people are going to want to go back and listen more than once because there's so much depth and so many great nuggets in there. And if this stuff was easy and intuitive, we'd all already be there. But it really is something I think that you've got to visit and revisit and practice like anything else in your life in order to be able to really put it into play and move toward what you really want your life yeah. to be. So thank you, Chris. Well, I want to say thank you for the invitation. All right. I loved our conversation. And I, and I must tell you that you are a phenomenal interviewer. I thought to myself on multiple occasions during this conversation, like we didn't plan this. We had no nope. doubt. You and I did not speak one word uh, about, except that you sent me an email with like you said, we probably will talk maybe about a couple of things, like the pivot points. That's it. But you asked questions as if we had pre-planned this. Oh, thank you. I <laughs> so your your that. ability to segue is is phenomenal. So you just made it so easy to have a meaningful and very pleasant dialogue. And I hope a lot of people hear it and benefit from it. So well, I you, you know I I I think people's career stories are fascinating and instructive yeah. and helpful um, because you know we're still at that up to seventy percent of people are unhappy at work and that needle hasn't moved. And we're not, you know, in 30 years, not in 30 it, years. It I hasn't. think it's even more than that. No, no. And yeah. so if people's stories can be helpful, maybe that's, a, maybe that's a way to move that needle. And that would make me do the happy dance. That would make mm. me come home yeah. at the end of the day with a smile <laughs> on my face. Thank yeah, you so much. Right yeah, thank you, Joy. If you enjoyed meeting the Evolved Careerist on today's episode, well, we've got a lot more lined up for you. Subscribe, tell your friends, rate us, and write a review. 
And of course, follow us on social media. But if you're interested in learning more about how you can evolve your career, you can contact us through theevolvedcareer.com or thebaukegroup.com. And that's B-A-U-K-E. Do you know somebody who'd be a great guest who has a great career story to tell? Or do you think you qualify? Then email me. My email address is in the podcast description. Until next time, here's to your career happiness.